We're, we're in Mark, no surprise there, at least there shouldn't be any surprise there, we've been there since last September, so um, that shouldn't be a shock to us, I love my Bible's upside down, I'm not having a good day today. <laughs> um, and uh, we're in Mark chapter 5, if I can find it, it was here this morning, hold on, there it is, um, and we are in verse 21. Um, very familiar story, perhaps, to many of you, but uh, let's just read it through, and then we're just going to chat about it um, in a moment. So it says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, the disciples answered, are you asking, really asking, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter James and John, the brothers of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples and who were with him and went in with the with the child sorry went in where the child was he took her by the hand and said to her talitha kum which means little girl i say to you get up immediately the girl stood up and walked around she was 12 years old at this there was a complete astonishment he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's a great story, isn't it? You know, so far in, 
in Mark, there's been very little faith in Jesus. Even his disciples, the ones who who know him best, the ones who've spent the most time with him, have already been rebuked for their lack of faith in the boat. In fact, they're wondering, asking the question, who are you, Jesus? They, They don't get it yet. But perhaps now that they've had time to think and that they've seen his power over the wind and waves and the the storm being calmed and also they've seen how he has healed this demon-possessed man, surely now their faith must be beginning to grow. But it seems as if they have still much more to learn. So Jesus, he's back in the boat again. And he's just left a crowd of people who are actually quite hostile to him. In fact, they're rather glad to see him go because, again, they don't understand him. And as Jesus goes across the the Sea of Galilee, he arrives back on the other shore. And guess what? Another crowd of people are waiting for him there. And the demand on him is so much that as soon as he steps off the boat, they're at him. They want his attention. In fact, he doesn't even get much further than the beach. And Mark, he just singles out two people for special mention. One of them, a man called Jairus or Jarius or whatever whatever we call him. And the other one, actually, she doesn't even have a name. And these two very different lives are weaved together in this passage which comes to the most amazing of climaxes when a girl is raised back from the dead. This is some story. And these these people may be very different, their stories may be very different, but actually there, there is a lot in common. There's a lot of things linking these two stories because both of them are female. One very young, the other one much older. Both of them are sick. One is critically ill on the point of death. The other one has been chronically ill for many, many years. As Jesus speaks to both of them, he calls them both daughter. Also, the number 12 appears twice. Notice that. She has, she has been sick for 12 years. This daughter, this girl is 12 years old. Are these just random connections? Is it just a sort of chance meeting that these things just somehow fit together? Or is Mark wanting us to see that God is interested in the very little details of our lives? Ultimately, these stories are about faith. That's the big link. (laughs) They're about faith. Perhaps to answer the question that the disciples have been asking, who are you, Jesus? But perhaps more than anything else, Mark wants us to really and fully see what it looks like to put our trust, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this afternoon, we're going to look at these stories, particularly the whole aspect of faith, 
I've picked a very biblical number for the number of points. Sadly, it's not three, but seven, unfortunately. But they are quite short. So here we go. Ready? Point number one. Faith in Jesus is humble. See, what's remarkable about this is particularly the way in which Jarius speaks to and acts towards Jesus Remember, this is an important leader. He is a key member in his society, yet he comes and he flings himself down at the feet of Jesus. And he begs him for help. And true faith in Jesus is humble. And no matter how important we may think we are, real faith recognizes that Jesus is just simply greater. And we need to come to Jesus humbly for mercy. In fact, we we have no right to demand anything of Jesus at all. In fact, the act of humility perhaps is the only right response when we come before the Savior King, the one who holds everything together, the creator, the sustainer of life. When I was about 11 years old, I thought I would take up fishing. Never done it before. Thought, why not? So I bought a cheap fishing rod. I got a few hooks. Dug up a few worms from the garden. Went down to the river. Thought, how hard can it be? So I, I cast my, my, my hook into the, into the river. I sat there for a while. Not much happened, to be fair. So I thought, I'd have another go. So I did it all over again. And after a little bit of time, you know what? It's just... It, it just got crazy. I, I, you know what? I didn't catch a single fish. To be fair, I did catch some things. I, I caught some, some rubbish from the bottom of the, the, the river. I, I caught some, some weeds at one point. I even caught a tree. In fact, I, actually, I caught myself once on the edge of my trousers. It took me about 10 minutes trying to get the hook out of that. Mum wasn't too pleased when I got home. But after about an hour or so, you know what? I just thought I've had enough of this. I just, this, this, this is not for me. On that same river, there were other people out there, other lads, other keen fishermen, and they seemed to be doing much better than me. For starters, they had been there a lot longer. They'd come early in the morning. These guys knew the river. These guys knew the type of bait to use for the type of fish that were in the river. These guys seemed to understand the weather, and they would just they would cast their, their hook into the water, and they would sit there for a while, and they would wait. And eventually they'd get a bite and a fish would come out and then they'd do it over and over and over again. Why? Because these were students of fishing. Two people sit down to pray. One of them seems to have their prayers answered and the other doesn't. Is there any reason why? See, we we can't see Jesus face to face, not in the same way that Jairus could. We can't come to him in that way, but we can come to him in prayer. And the question is, is Jesus still as powerful today as he was back in those days? And then, if he is, is, is it important how we choose to approach Jesus? 
See, there are general things in Scripture that seems to suggest that perhaps this is important. Things that we perhaps should should apply to our prayer life, apply to our faith in Jesus. So verses like 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 where it says, I desire that in every place that men and women should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. And the Bible would seem to suggest that there are certain things that are act as barriers towards either us praying or even answer to prayer. So things like sin and bitterness and anger all seem to be barriers to prayer and therefore barriers to faith. And we should come before the Lord God Almighty humbly, aware of how great he is, but we come before him humbly and we receive from him. And faith in Jesus is humble. The second thought is this, that faith comes from our needs. Now the crowds are all around Jesus. We read about it. They're just pressing in on him. And these people are all from so many different backgrounds. But Mark chooses to, to pick out these two people from complete, extre- complete extremes. So we have got Jairus' daughter who is part of a prestigious family. She is, sorry, he is a ruler of the synagogue. Very important person. Very wealthy. This little girl probably can have anything she wants got the best clothes I'm sure best technology available to her she is well off the only one problem is this she's sick and she's dying and no amount of money is going to solve that one and Jarius realizes his deep need and despite his wealth he comes to Jesus realizing that Jesus is who he needs The other person mentioned here is this anonymous woman. Guys, we don't even know her name. She's not mentioned. And she's got nothing going for her. First of all, she's a woman. Now, in in those days, women were thought of the lowest of society. And and, and they they just, they, they basically, they brought up kids. And that was probably it. But... Also, she has got no money. She has spent every single penny she has on doctors, completely wasted it. She is bankrupt, gets worse again because she is sick. In fact, she's been sick for 12 years. She's constantly bleeding, most likely a gynecological problem. And listen, under Jewish law, She is regarded as someone who is ceremonially unclean, which means that not only is she unclean, but if she happens to touch somebody else, they also become unclean. (laughs) And she reaches out and she touches Jesus. But touching Jesus is different because Jesus, he is not defiled. In fact, the very opposite happens because she is made clean. And amazing, it's just like that. She is miraculously healed. And these two very, very different people choose to come to Jesus, realizing their need for him 
And it is their faith that provokes them to come because of their deep need. And faith begins when we realize we've got a need. See, actually, no one, will, no one is going to ever come to Jesus if they think they're perfectly okay, if they haven't got any problems, if, if life is going great and they've got nothing to worry about. But you see, Jesus Christ came into this world to deal with the biggest problem of all, a problem that affects every single one of us, the problem of sin, the problem of defilement, the problem of pride. And these things are a problem because these all separate us from God. And faith begins when we realize we've got a problem. That problem is called sin. The third thing is that faith is in Jesus alone. See, what Jairus and this woman, in fact, what the demon-possessed man earlier on in the chapter all have in common is that it is only, they realize it's only Jesus who can save them, who can cure them, and who can help them. They've realized that their only hope must be placed in this man from God. And listen, Jesus is different. I hope you see that as you, as you read the stories. See, he, he comes to them. He listens to them. He is the one who is approachable. He doesn't turn anyone away. And, and, and he treats every single one of them equally. It's not just the wealthy man who he's time for. It's the woman with no name as well. He treats them both equally. And he cares for the outcast, for the unclean, for the unapproachable. But he also cares for the important leader, for the one with wealth and money and influence. But listen, he also has time for you. He loves you. He loves you with real compassion. And if you feel unworthy... Jesus welcomes you with open arms. And if you, if you feel, I guess, isolated and alone, he comes alongside you to comfort you. And if you, you think actually that your faith is just too weak, listen, Jesus will come and tell you. It's not so much important the size of your faith, but rather where you put your faith in. That's what's important. But also if you feel that you've got life sorted a good job, a good career, that things are going pretty well. Listen, you still need Jesus as well. Because right down at the root of every one of us, whatever our background is, there's a problem deep within here, a problem of the heart, a problem of sin, a problem where we want to go our own way, when we, want to, when we don't want to go God's way, a problem of pride that causes shame and guilt. And only Jesus... Only Jesus can deal with that. There is no other way. Education, money, good friends, technology, all good things. But there is no app for this. This is nothing you can download onto your iPhone or iPad. Only Jesus can deal with the problem of sin in your life. He is our only hope. 
And whatever our background is, we all have one thing in common. We need Jesus. And Jesus will say to us, he says, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The fourth thought is this, that faith does not make us ashamed. See, Jarius is not ashamed to come and to fall down in front of Jesus in public. He needs Jesus. He's not caring what other people think. Even this this woman, um, even though her faith is very much in secret, understandably because of her condition, after all, her illness has made her a close and an outsider. And perhaps it's even shocking to think that this woman who should know better reaches out and touches someone, let alone the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, as she touches just the very edge of his garment, of his clothes, she's healed. It's a miracle. And now that she knows that she is healed, she may be scared and trembling and fearful. That's what it says. But she is not ashamed to come forward and actually tell her story and say what what Jesus has done in her life. And if we have faith in Jesus, you must not be ashamed of him. You may be terrified of telling other people. You may be nervous about perhaps what reaction you may get at work or at school. It it, it may make you uncomfortable sometimes. But listen, we, Jesus does not want us to be ashamed. In fact, there is a confidence that comes through faith. And as, as we see Jesus' power at work in our lives, as we see the Holy Spirit just working, as we hear stories like yesterday of what God is doing, it should build our confidence Perhaps we can even echo the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Number five. Faith in Jesus helps us wait. I guess what is most amazing about this story is actually the calmness of Jesus. He is firmly in control of this whole situation. But listen, you gotta, your heart must break for poor, poor Jairus. Hey? What must he be thinking in all of this? His daughter is at the point of death. She's just so seriously ill. And, and all he wants is for Jesus to come along with him to his house, to touch his daughter and to heal her. And now Jesus stops. And he talks to this other woman. Now, fair enough, she's not very well. That's okay. But listen, her condition tw- has been on for 12 years. This is not as serious, surely, as, the, as, as his daughter. He, he's got to be thinking that. And surely logic would, dict- would dictate that he should go and deal with the most urgent matter, first of all, and then come back. And if he wants to have a chat with this woman, that, that, that'll be fine. <laughs> but instead, he must first experience the crushing disappointment of being told the news that his daughter is dead. That she's breathed her last. What's God, what's God doing in this? It's a hard one, isn't it? Well, what's really going on here? 
can we really begin to understand the mind of God? I, I guess the answer answers no. And yet God knows. And his timing is, is always best. It may be different to our timing, but his timing is always best. One thing that we do know is that God will always act in such a way to bring ultimate glory and honor that is due to his name. Perhaps it may even feel selfish that God would want to bring glory to himself. But you see, it's not. Because there is no higher being in this universe. There is no one who deserves glory like God does. In fact, there is no, no one greater than him. He alone deserves glory. He alone deserves his own glory. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus seems to be challenging Jairus' faith to an even greater level of faith. And he says to him something like this. He says, you believe that I could heal your daughter, but are you willing to wait and see how much more I can do? I don't know about you, I, I hate waiting. I hate standing in queues. I, I, just, I'm not very, I get quite impatient. You need to ask, just ask Rachel or, or, or Rosie. I, just, I, don't, I hate hanging around for stuff. Also, I've discovered that the longer that you tend to wait for something, things often get much worse before they get better. That's certainly true of, of Jairus. And sometimes God delays to answer prayers Is it to teach us to be more persistent and more consistent in our prayers? Jesus tells a story actually in Luke chapter 18. Mark doesn't record this one. It's a parable about a widow who wants a judge to bring justice to her. And she keeps asking and asking and asking until the judge does what has been asked of him. At the end of that little parable, these are the words that Luke records. He says, by explanation, he says, so that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And sometimes we have to wait. And God makes us wait. And that's hard. It's not pretend, it's not, it's really, really hard to understand sometimes. But true faith in Jesus helps us wait. See, when we have grasped the greatness and the power of Jesus Christ, surely that should help us to wait, to really begin to wait on Him. And waiting builds faith, and faith helps us wait. So So how can we really doubt his power in salvation? How can we doubt his power to keep us and protect us? Can we really doubt his power in the ordinary things of life? And what about the most challenging and difficult things of life? How is our faith when it comes to waiting on God? See, if we know him to be all-powerful, surely 
it should help us to wait. The sixth thing is this, that faith is believing what Jesus says. They're back home now. Jairus is home. It's, it's chaotic there. It's just chaotic. All the mourners are there, the, the wailing and the crying. It's, 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 all, it's all going on. And, and, and Jairus has to walk through the middle of all of this, all the scorning of the crowds. No doubt they think he's a fool for believing the words of Jesus at this particular point. After all, his daughter is now dead. And this, this is the bottom line when it comes to faith. It's believing the word and the promises of God rather than even what our eyes or our ears or even our experiences are telling us. Do we or can we take God's word and believe it and put our trust in it? Can we take Jesus' word when he says that eternity matters more than today, that we should lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven rather than on earth, that we should want to try and, and seek him first rather than anything else, that it's vital that we practice forgiveness now, that it's so important that we struggle to keep ourselves pure and holy and righteous before God. This is what it really means to live a life of faith in Jesus. And faith is taking Jesus' words and Jesus' promises and applying them to our lives. And that should affect the way we live. It should affect how we think, how we behave. It should affect how we talk. And Jairus was able to hear and to respond to the words of Jesus in the face of the most devastating of news. And Jesus says to him, do not be afraid, only believe. daughter's dead. She's dead. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Only believe. What do, you, what do you do with that? And Jarius chooses to believe and he is rewarded with the most, seeing the most astonishing power of Jesus in action as Jesus takes him into that room he takes her by the hand and just lifts her up and he gets his daughter back he gets his daughter back the last thing number seven faith in Jesus never disappoints and as we see the gentle grace and and power of Jesus at work here. Perhaps one of the most surprising things going on here is after all the fuss and the chaos that's gone on in this home is that Jesus says to the family, don't tell anybody. Just keep this one to yourself. Don't tell anybody about this. Perhaps, I guess, Jesus doesn't want his ministry to be hijacked by, by just miracle seekers. You see, his priority has always been and still is his teaching. He wants people to understand 
He wants people to grow in faith for all the right reasons. And Jarius, well, he's humbled himself. He's begged Jesus for help at his very deepest need. He's trusted Jesus when it seemed as if everything was going wrong. He's believed his promises when, every, when everyone else thought he was being ridiculous. And he has received the most incredible and the most joyous reward. His daughter's back. And faith in Jesus never disappoints. It's not always easy. This is a roller coaster of a story. But faith in Jesus never disappoints. Listen, he may not always act the way you think he ought to. But faith in Jesus never disappoints. So how does your faith match up? There's an old story, I'm sure you may have heard it before, an old illustration about a, a young boy playing in a, in a sandpit. And there's a, there's a big rock in the middle of this sandpit. And this young lad wants that rock out of the sandpit. So he, he starts to dig around it and he tries to clear all the sand from it. And he tries to move this stone. But no matter how hard he tries, he cannot shift this lump of rock. So he cries out to dad. Dad, he says, dad, I, I just cannot move it. He says, I've done everything I can. His dad says to him, you haven't used all the strength available to you. And the little lad says, have dad I've done everything I possibly could his dad says "Uh, but you haven't asked me for help and so often we can complicate faith but faith is simply going to one who is more powerful and asking them for help listen his name is Jesus He will never disappoint. And life can be tough. I know that. We all carry our levels of pain and burden around with us. can be difficult. But we can walk it with him by faith in him. And he will never disappoint you. Let's stand together. Guys, I don't know what, what you're facing this week, what, what challenges are there. And, and some of you will be facing difficult things and have, have difficult questions. And sometimes God feels close and sometimes he feels further away. And as the old saying goes, it's not God that's moved, it's, it's actually us. <laughs>